Hello and welcome back to the KI Prime podcast with me, Alina Jenkins. So far in this series, we've explored the history of this prize for research in medical education, heard about the cutting-edge research from the 2019 Fellows and spoken to previous winners, and we continue with that theme for the remaining episodes. This time my guest is Dr Kees van der Vleuten from the Netherlands. Kees has been at the University of Maastricht since 1982. In 1996, he was appointed Professor of Education and Chair of the Department of Educational Development and Research in the Faculty of Health, Medicine and Life Sciences, a position he held for 18 years. From 2005 until 2020, he was the Scientific Director of the School of Health Professions Education. His successor is KI Prime Fellow and previous guest in this series, Dr Pim Tonissen. Case serves frequently as a consultant internationally and holds numerous honorary academic appointments around the world. He was awarded the Karolinska Prize in 2012 for his research in evaluation and assessment of medical competences. Since the 1980s, his work has focused on how to evaluate what a student has actually learned. He started his career as a psychologist, and when we spoke at the end of 2020, I asked him what made him move from psychology into the field of medical education. Coincidence? When I came to the labor market, which was the early 80s, there was a lot of unemployment, academic unemployment. And uh, the only university then, which was growing in the Netherlands, was Maastricht University because it was new. It started from scratch with a new medical school. And I had done quite some psychometrics in my uh, training. And um, the university wanted a psychometrician. So I applied, I got into it, and then I discovered medical education as a phenomenal discipline. The reason for that is that um, Maastricht University was one of the first, it's actually the second one after McMaster's in uh, in Canada, to adopt problem-based learning. And problem-based learning in that time was a complete revolution. And it was not really very much accepted. So there was a bit of um, an atmosphere of us against the rest of the world. And that's exactly um, how it was wonderful to defend that system. And actually took some time, but I then discovered this educational approach is fundamentally different and is great. And trying to show evidence that this is a great approach has kind of become my professional mission in my life. And increasingly, because I was not trained as an educational psychologist, actually done a lot of clinical psychology, but increasingly, I found out that we do things in education because we do them by tradition and by intuition. And slowly, I discovered that if you start looking at the things that we do in educational practice from a more empirical perspective, not all the things that we do are really very optimal. And that has fascinated me for the rest of my life. And basically, I wanted to introduce much more evidence into education. And 
When I became a full professor, I wrote a inaugural address with the title Beyond Intuition. And the pathway in front of me was to discover and provide evidence in education and then apply to educational practice. That's what I did. And I also did that with a particular vision, that is that educational change should not exclusively be in the hands of educational scientists, because that won't work. It's the people in practice, in educational practice, that have to carry out any sort of change or any sort of innovation. So I've done my research quite a lot with people in the field. So in my career as a professor, I think I have nearly 100 people graduated as a PhD under my supervision. And I think that the far majority, I think 80%, have a background in health sciences. And most of them medical doctors. And they are going to be the leaders in the field. And they are going to be research informed. And they will have an impact on educational practice. And I think that's really very important. I also think that is unique to medical education. I think I've been right from the start, been very much in favor of joining platforms of exchange. I'll give you an example, Amy, our international conference, more than 3,000 people attend. And that's a, those are platforms that were, where there's a mixture between educational research, educational practitioners, people who have questions, who have ideas, and there's this kind of an exchange. In the general education literature, there's um, there are a number of publications talking about the gap between educational research and teachers. Uh, teachers not being aware of the evidence being produced, researchers not being aware of what happens in educational practice. And I think the prevention of this gap really is extremely important in medical education. By creating those platforms, and also by creating journal platforms in medical education, I've lost count of the number of journals that have emerged within medical education. So I guess um, my professional mission in life has been to produce evidence in conjunction with the people in the domain in order to have some impact on educational practice. You've had an extensive and celebrated career with a wealth of publications, but can you tell us more about your research, which led you to winning the prize? I understand it was based around how to evaluate what a student has learned. Okay, so when I came into Maastricht University, we had this problem-based learning approach. And um, one of my tasks was, as a psychometrician, to address assessment in problem-based learning. And after a couple of years, it became quite clear to me that there was quite a conflict between what the educational environment had as objectives and wanted to achieve with learners and what the asset actually achieved. Problem-based learning is about learning in context, is about self-directed learning. And so the learners themselves formulate learning objectives. But then the assessment at the end was simply pass this test. So whatever your learning objectives were, we don't care, pass this test. And that is a problem of alignment. 
which took me a long time to resolve. And as a result of quite a lot of research, my thoughts have changed quite radically, probably because I was within this innovative educational context. Probably if I had a career in a certification institute, my thoughts would have developed much differently. And I came to realize that uh, assessment often drives very negative learning of studying for the test and then passing the test and then forgetting everything and move on to the next test. So that's kind of what is normal in educational practice. And I've gathered a lot of evidence around this approach to assessment and started to publish together with others uh, some other ideas around assessment. Took us a long time, but ultimately this led to a vision on assessment, which is different. Yeah, it's called programmatic assessment, and it has a set of principles that you need to adhere to. And if you do that, you promote optimal learning from your learners, you promote self-directed learning, you promote more agency of your students on their own learning process and on the assessment. You promote more reflection. So this approach to programmatic assessment, I think the first publication was in 2011. And in the meantime, by coincidence, is a Dutch book on it with a community behind it of a group of higher education programs adopting this approach to programmatic assessment. In the same vein, a similar sort of group within uh, medical education, health sciences, because it's broader than medicine alone, that form a community of schools that have adopted uh, this approach to assessment and that helps each other or that help others considering or trying to adopt uh, this approach to assessment and support them. So I guess in a nutshell, that is what I hope that the research has caused. Huh? So educational problem investigated, subsequently ideas are formed, ideas are shared with people from the domain, leaders from the domain impact educational practice. And that's the way I think that should go. I also have seen many innovations fail. Unlike other sciences, you cannot demonstrate something works in education and then expect it to work in every other context. Uh, the fact that problem-based learning or programmatic assessment works in my context is no guarantee it will function in your context. It all depends on the context itself, on the culture of the context, of the people within the context. So I've seen implementations of problem-based learning, for example. I've seen them fail. The whole notion of programmatic assessment with a lot of emphasis on showing your weaknesses is not easily going to work within a very hierarchical society like Asian cultures or Arabian cultures. So the context is eminently important. I know mentoring is very important to you. Did you have someone like yourself to mentor you when you first started or were things very different? Uh, when I came to the field, there was no infrastructure. Um, so there was not, well, it's not entirely true, but 
there was not the kind of mentoring that uh, probably you would get nowadays. I think also that um, compared to when I entered medical education to now, we now have quite a lot of infrastructure around medical education. I, I think that most medical schools nowadays will have office or a department of medical education. That was absolutely not true uh, when I entered medical education. It was an uphill battle, really, to get such an infrastructure because, and certainly about research, because if educationists were allowed in into medical school, it was to provide service. Service in relation to staff development, in relation to quality assurance and assessment, but certainly not research, because why would that be beneficial to anyone? And this was really an uphill battle, which is still true in many settings, that people want services, not research. Research is not important. And this is um, still true. I think that uh, slowly, as a medical education community, we, we can show that research is important and has led to quite a few developments. And I think, yeah, this is probably my most fundamental conception about the role of research. That is, it's a vehicle for changing educational practice, and educational practice is a vehicle for doing research. Uh, so this, this connected role, I think, is really very important. Education as a research field has been called the hardest science ball because it's very difficult to standardize things like you would in a medical experiment. You would standardize everything and then you check infinitely whether your results are valid across different groups. Look at the COVID-19 vaccination and how long it takes for the vaccine, which already exists, comes into practice. Education research has been called the hardest science of all. It's very difficult to prove something in education. And so it's not easy to, to learn the trade. And uh, given the fact that I've often had medical doctors in MSs or a PhD trajectory, it's quite a different field if you come from the biomedical sciences and then wish to contribute to education research. That's quite a leap. And... So you need your mentors, you need your advisors, you need your people who know how it works. Often people come to us, to me, uh, with a bright idea and they're very enthusiastic about a particular teaching approach they take. And then they want to do uh, research to prove that what they are doing is the best. And then I have to warn them because this is very naive. You don't do education research anymore by having an idea, evaluating it and publishing it. It needs to be blended with solid theory and then put into an international perspective so that your idea from whichever university is relevant to the outside world in whatever university. And that's that's quite a discovery. So we need that infrastructure. And I think nowadays we have more of that infrastructure. Do we have enough? No, we don't have enough of that infrastructure. And it also is with varying degrees. I see education groups coming up and then with new leadership going down again. So the role of 
the educational researcher is still one with tensions. Your native country, the Netherlands, is very productive in the field of research in medical education compared to much larger countries. So what is it that a small country like the Netherlands is doing so well that other countries can learn from? I think we've created that open community. So I myself have been um, setting up education research in multiple other institutions within the Netherlands. And I think... um, we have set up that community. All schools now have a medical education department. We used to have a Dutch journal, which is now an international journal. But we do have this Dutch Medical Education Association with so many members with a very nice conference. Basically, that's where you meet. And I also think maybe it is also because normally across schools, there's a lot of competition. But there's no competition in medicine. There's sufficient people who want to study medicine. So there is a possibility to be open-minded, to be collaborative. And I think that's what we have achieved in the Netherlands. And the Dutch Medical Education Association is very active, both in undergraduate and postgraduate education. Also in research, we have a Dutch research community of PhD students. I think there are more than 100 PhD students in the world. I have lots of good relationships with those kind of departments. For example, the head of which done a PhD with me, and that person is, is continuing scholarship in health sciences education because it's not only medicine. It's also dentistry, veterinary medicine, and other sciences. And I think that is what we have accomplished. I think we've done well in relation to that. And I also think that our training programs, medical education training programs, undergraduate and postgraduate, are fairly doing well as a result of the ongoing research. And I think that's wonderful. And I hope that others will do the same, although I know and I realize that um, we're in a very fortunate position in the Netherlands. If you look at the rest of the world, I, and I've traveled a lot, I, you know, I, I've seen the world. But m- many of my travels are related to the same goal, that is to spread evidence into educational practice. And I had, I don't know how many, visiting professorships where I spent some time in other universities to help them either with an educational innovation or to set up the educational research within that uh, school. So, yeah, that's, that's my professional life. And that leads me to my final question, which is what it meant to win the Karolinska Prize and what impacts, if any, did it have on your career? Well, I think Karolinska is the prize is unique in promoting the value of educational research. And... To me, that was um, a crown, a jewel in my crown. I, I tend to be modest, but I realized that this was a recognition which was quite unique. I, I think I've had quite a few awards and prizes in my career, and the Karolinska stands out for that. The other one was a, a Dutch royal decoration, but Karolinska was the other one that really stood out and meant a lot to, for me. And people have... I think also due to the Karolinska Prize, recognize me. Probably making my ideas more relevant to others. So, so I had more impact, probably, on educational practice 
due to something like the Karolinska Prize. And I think that Karolinska should go on with this prize. And I also understand that there's a, a young researcher initiative as well, which I think is wonderful because it contributes to the forming of our community. Dr. Case van der Vleuten. That's all for this episode. Next time my conversation will be with Dr. John Norsini, a pioneer in the field of medical education and the winner of the prize in 2014. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>